HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program has been brought to you by Whole Foods Market, a dynamic leader in the quality food business, a mission-driven company that aims to set the standards of excellence for food retailers. For more information, visit WholeFoodsMarket.com. I'm Greg Blaze, host of Cutting the Curd. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit HeritageRadioNetwork.org for thousands more. Welcome to the Food Scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. I'm your host, Michael Harlan Turkel. Today doesn't really feel so much like a show than it does a celebration. I have Jeremy Sewell of the New England Kitchen here with me today. I almost said cookbook because for so long when we were working on it, that was like its moniker. Yeah, I don't think we had a name till late in the game. No, so, no. Yeah. So, as you all know, I, I, I was very invested in this guest today in, in this project such as the... New England Kitchen, because I don't even know how long, maybe a year and a half of my life was spent going up and down the coast of New England with this wonderful man, Chef Jeremy Sewell from Boston. Thank you. Yeah, it was it was quite a project. I I, I don't even know what to think of it now that it's over, but it was. Uh, <laughs> I'm glad I got you up to Boston to watch the Red Sox oh, you know, during their World Series push last year. So. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And. I will admit to everybody in front of you, of course, that I am a Red Sox fan, a huge Red Sox fan. I, we're in New York. You should probably not tell too many Don't people. Don't worry. I, I think I have a bigger listener base in New England than I do here well, that's in the boroughs. But the New England Kitchen was this wonderful culmination of your career, but even past that, your family's career. I, I want to start at Henry Sewell. Yeah, really interesting kind of story that I, I you know, I, I'm sure there's a lot of New Englanders are... Certainly, a lot of Americans kind of get to tell where my ancestors, you know, we can luckily trace back all the way to Coventry, England. And Henry Sewell was the first to come over. He came over to Newburyport in the 1500s. I think he liked what he saw. He went back, got his family, came back, and just the kind of Sewells sprawled all over New England from there. Yeah. Do you see, do you see that happen in Boston? Do you like, oh, that's some Sewell sprawl? 
<laughs> well, no. I mean, there's yeah, there's some obvious stuff. There's some streets named Sewell and things like that, and, and there's some you know historic sites that reflect the family history. But it's it's not like a lot of New England history and a lot of New England families. It's not obvious. It's not you know it's not Washington or Kennedy. It's it's a it's a family that pay, played a part in kind of building the fabric of what is New England. But it wasn't certainly at the top of the top of the pile. Well. Probably the most obvious was Samuel Sewell and the Salem Witch Trials. Yeah, he was a really interesting guy. He was uh, obviously most known for being a judge on the Salem Witch Trials. Uh, what made him interesting about that is he was the only one to ever publicly apologize uh, for what he had done. And you know, the public apology in that day was in front of church saying what they had done was wrong. And, and really interesting, he wore a shirt made of hair. The rest of his life, which was really uncomfortable as his penance for for being a part of that. And really, uh, he had done some really other interesting things. He was really came out against slavery, slavery long before the Civil War. He wrote an essay about the equality of women, referencing his daughter. Uh, so he was a really interesting American figure. And he married a woman named Hannah Hall. And the Halls made all the shillings for the colonies. And so... The wedding was Hannah got on scale and they balanced it out with shillings and that's what they got and he was a pretty wealthy man. So he owned an estate called Brooklyn, which actually started in Kenmore Square, went all the way through what is now Brookline, and they added knee to it and his son Samuel Sewell Junior turned it into the, you know, town of Brookline in the seventeen hundreds. So pretty interesting story there. And as far as we know, Island Creek Oyster Bar and Lineage both sit on land that my family once owned many years ago. I mean, Lineage, you can look a block away and there's Sewell Ave. Yeah. Which, so you're you're, for, you're surrounded by the Sewell sprawl. Yeah, absolutely. But, I, you know, I, I didn't know that going into it. I didn't know that going into... I had a sense of family history and certainly knew about Samuel, but I didn't know about the connection of Brookline and Sewell Avenue and the Samuel Sewell Inn and all those things until I had bought Lineage. Yeah, I mean, let's let's talk about eventually finding that connection because you weren't from New England initially. Your your parents were Mainers, and you had that you know vacation land thing going on. But where did you grow up? Yeah, I grew up not far from here, about an hour and a half from here. I grew up in the Hudson Valley near Poughkeepsie, and uh, my dad moved around a lot when we were kids. Not a lot, but I was born in Illinois and moved in Ohio, lived in Ohio, and settled in New York in the late seventies, and um, went to high school there, and. You know, every weekend and holiday, where we spent a lot of time in Maine. I got to spend summers up there, so that was really home. And all the aunts and uncles and grandparents lived up there, so that was where you really felt a connection to. Maine. I mean, I've been there many a times. It's one of my favorite states in the nation. And most people experience Maine during the glorious summertime. What was it like for you as a child? I, yeah, <clears throat> kind of the same. I, I Most of my time was spent up there in, in the summer, and it was... I mean, it was magnificent. You got to, you know, my uncle had a house on the river that led to the ocean, and, you know, my cousins had boats, and we spent our days, you know, flounder fishing and, you know, just spending your days in the water, and that was just really a, an amazing kind of important part of my upbringing, kind of identifying to that stuff, because I loved it so much, as, as my sons do, and hopefully my daughter will, as, as she's starting to, but it, it that was really where you kind of, I drew my identity was connecting to those things. Cause that's, I lived in New York with my sisters and my parents and that was wonderful and it had a great place to live And the Hudson Valley was where I lived was beautiful. But 
you know, there was something kind of special about being in Maine and, and connecting yourself to that because that's where the rest of your family lived on both sides. You eventually went to school to the CIA. And I'm, I'm going to let you preview your commencement speech maybe later in the episode, just a little bit. But when you were at the CIA, where did you want to go with your cooking career, your culinary arts? I, I didn't know. I really didn't. I think I went when I was very young. I started school when I was 18 or 19. I was very fortunate to figure out that's what I wanted to do right when I kind of got out of high school. Um, I wasn't sure. So I actually stayed on for a year as a fellowship. I, I was a I taught I was a student teacher in the fish kitchen. I sat in a room and cut fish all day and. And to this day, the best job I've ever had in my life. It was just, you know, it felt right. It felt something that I really wanted to do. I had a connection to it. I knew a lot of what was coming in around us in the Northeast, what the fish were, just by from my from growing up in that in that world. But <clears throat> that felt great. And I, I don't think I really knew what I wanted to do after that. And from there, I went to Maine and uh, got an amazing job with a, uh, an amazing chef in, in Kennebunkport uh, at the White Barn Inn, working for a chef named Gethin Thomas. And he really pushed me through a lot of the rest of my career and uh, went to Europe from there and back to Boston and and just kind of went wor- and worked in kitchens where I felt that I was going to develop and grow and we're doing cool things. So let's talk about Boston. Because you're back there now. You have Lineage, Island Creek, Oyster Bar, Row 34. You are Boston now. You you personify Boston now. No, no. I just have little <laughs> restaurants in, in Boston. But that is your home state. If anyone asks you where you're from, where do you say? Yeah, you say Boston. That's where I most identify myself. Yeah. yeah. So you came back and you worked at the wonderful Le Spalier with Frank McClellan. Yeah. This, I remember going to that kitchen the first time when I was in school and you know trying to cook around uh, Beantown as well. And, well, it was on the second floor? Yeah, second or third floor. The original location was on 30 Gloucester Street, which was this old townhouse in the back bay in Boston. And just easily one of the most kind of romantic, amazing spots to eat and cook in Boston. It was just, you'll never duplicate it. It was really cool. I'm I'm not calling it antiquated, though. But, you know, there was this idea of what Boston was and what Boston food is, aside from baked beans and, you know, pot roast it was old. It was stodgy. You know, like, that's what people came to Boston for. There was Lock Ober. There was, you know, like, this one way of thinking of New England cuisine, lobster boils. D- did you find that when you moved back to Boston? No. I, you know, I, I think any area of the country has kind of an identity or, or iconic dishes, if you will, that are identified with that area, whether it's Chipino in San Francisco or... You know, the South has many, What you know, whatever it might be. But, you know, Boston has always had all of those dishes that's been connected with. But in any city, and Boston's no exception, there's always people pushing the envelope. And when I moved back here, back to Boston about 12 years ago, you know, some great chefs were really sprouting up and, and pushing the scene and pushing what was considered, you know, great food in Boston. And it didn't have to be aligned with the past. I mean, we're, we're kind of carving our own future with, with what food was going to be. And I think that continues today. Yeah, I mean, dispel the Puritans. It, it wasn't, you know, Thanksgiving year-round, which I think Boston is often associated with. Yeah, I mean, New England is associated with Thanksgiving, and, and rightfully so. And, and that's a great thing. I love cooking Thanksgiving dinner. It's just, you know, the cooking tradition is, is wonderful, and creating your own along the way is, is even better. But, you know, what happens in Boston now is just, I think, that it's got its feet firmly in both worlds of you can eat 
and absorb iconic things in Boston that have been celebrated within the city food scene for years. And the next level or the next part of that is there's amazing, you know, chefs coming in Boston now that are just doing wonderful new things with New England ingredients, with New England ideas. And that's a great thing. You were on the West Coast for a little bit before you returned to Boston. Yeah. Um, With that, you know, there was that celebration of of ingredients, of freshness. Uh, You worked for Bradley Ogden at, uh, what was it? The Lark Creek Inn, yeah. What did you learn from him and his technique and, you know, that approach to food that you brought back to New England? You know, what I think Brad was a master at was sourcing and just connecting himself to the ingredient. And it was just really, you know... We did. It was the first, not the first time, but it was really the first time where it was full fledged. We shop at farmers markets. We buy from farmers. We buy from foragers. We buy from fishermen. And there was no, well, we buy this one thing from this one guy, and it's really cool. No, this is how we built the menu. This is how we filled the walk-in was from these people. And there's always going to be the you know mainstream vendors that you that you use, but you know in Northern California, the access to that product was just it's unparalleled there's nothing like that and i was there i was back there with my family last week and just walking back through the farmer's market you just you know it's it's unbelievable you know you it's you know you you salivate you tingle you're like oh my god this is amazing and i think new england's getting there yeah no it's funny you're saying that new england's getting there because i i know you were you know a rising star through james beard foundation while you were in california and i don't know many chefs that taste that nectar and then come back to desolate new england i mean what season did you move back oh my god uh i think we moved back late summer uh lisa would have to remind me i (laughs) blocked it all out but you know we we moved back we were both from here it was home we wanted to grow our family and and that it just seemed like that was a place we wanted to do it was back in new england closer to our families and that's a great thing, and it's been wonderful. But to see the evolution, and certainly the last 10 years of New England food, the farmers' markets, the farms, what these farmers are able to do now in New England is, is unbelievable. I mean, go beyond produce, whether it's poultry or cows or pigs or any of that stuff. Like, New England is really at the front of you know pushing forward, creating an amazing environment where New England farmers can sell to New England chefs and create this kind of local you know food that is amazing you know it's funny uh great bay your first restaurant in boston yeah which actually is the space which now houses island creek oyster bar (laughs) it is yeah (laughs) i mean that was 10 years ago that that opened up wasn't like oh that opened 2002 yeah yeah so that was just over 10 years ago and the progress the amount of things that have changed within those 10 years must be mind-blowing i i come back to visit boston every so often but seeing it you know at the front lines what what has it been like just in that one space alone well i mean great bay was an amazing restaurant that uh, you know i really enjoyed that project it was a lot of fun and of course i was dumb enough to go venture off and open my own place after you know spending a few years there but you know that's in Kenmore Square, and that's near Fenway Park. And Kenmore Square 12 years ago was not what Kenmore Square is now. So it's really evolved. And to kind of be a part of that evolution and and to kind of see what happened at Great Bay, and, and that ran its course, and they did an amazing job for a long time there. But you got to miss the rat. you got to miss Deli House. 
<laughs> yeah, I get I get reminded that those were there quite quite yeah, often. Yeah. But, I mean, look, those things were iconic places in Boston that helped you know create the identity of Kenmore Square. So yeah, you're gonna always gonna hear about those things. But Kenmore Square and is very very different than it was 12 years ago. And I think the, the timing was right for Island Creek Oyster Bar when we came in a few years ago. 2006, you firmly affixed yourself into your family's legacy by opening up the very apropos named lineage in, in Brookline. Yeah. Uh, you and your wife, Lisa, found this cute little spot on Harvard Ave right yeah. near Coolidge Corner. What was that process like, uh, creating that business plan, setting up that first menu? You know, it was... It's surreal now looking back on it. You know, it almost feels like you were a different person, but it was really a, uh, a I knew we wanted to open a restaurant and you just you put your foot on the gas and you know you're going to get it open and you're going to crash and burn but you're going to keep your foot on the gas till it happens <clears throat> but I don't <clears throat> I don't know I don't think I was thinking about I knew what I wanted to do I kind of want to be a part of Coolidge Corner I want to be part of a neighborhood I want to be part of Brookline um, and the, the menu wasn't as you know maybe as lofty or fancy as people might have expected something from me at the time but i really want to feel that i fit into the neighborhood and and i think we did i mean it was a struggle you know the first year was amazing the second year was hard to kind of find your identity and once we got our foothold in coolidge corner in brookline i think you know we're we're nine years old almost nine years old i mean i think we're firmly a part of the identity of brookline and i feel really good about that so it's just a restaurant where you can get you know, amazing seafood. We do little tasting menus, but you can get a burger and a pizza and and draft beer and sit at the bar. I mean, we have without diluting any of those things. So, I think it's what I'm most proudest of of lineage is that it's a, it's genuinely a neighborhood restaurant that people will come in from other neighborhoods to eat there, but it's filled with people from Brookline every night. I mean, who wouldn't want us in front of that wood fire oven? <laughs> yeah. You know, I almost tore that out when we when we bought the place. It was there when I bought the place and. I almost ripped it out, but I, I'm glad I kept it. It's such a part of what we do now. That's the heart. That's the heart of that place. No, I know. I know. I was young and stupid. Yeah. Well, now that you're a little bit older, just a little bit wiser. Very little, yeah. <laughs> we're going to take a quick break, and we're going to come back and talk about your felicitous meeting with the Silver Fox. Excellent. <laughs> You've been listening to the Food Scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Be right back. Today's program has been brought to you by Whole Foods Market. Washed rind cheeses are a fairly recent addition to the repertoires of artisanal cheesemakers in the United States. These cheeses tend to be stinkier than other types and are often high on the list of connoisseurs. Now, Whole Foods Market has come up with one of their own. The raw cow's milk cheese made by Sprout Creek Farm in Poughkeepsie, New York, is washed with six-point ale from Red Hook, Brooklyn. The beige sticky rind deepens in color as it ages. The satiny ivory cheese within is mellow with a sweetly tangy bite and a grassy aroma. The current version features six-point diesel, which is in limited supply, so stop by and pick up some before it's gone. And point-of-origin cheese is sold exclusively at Whole Foods Market in New York, northern New Jersey, and Connecticut. For more information, visit WholeFoodsMarket.com.
And welcome back to the food scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. I'm your host, Michael Harlan Turkel, here again with Mr. Jeremy Sewell of Boston. Tell me about Garrett Harker. Who? G-H? I don't know. The G. Yeah. The G. Uh, Garrett is uh, my business partner. We own uh, Island Creek Oyster Bar and Row 34 together with with uh, Skip Bennett and Shore Gregory. And, uh, you know, Garrett is the front of house guy. He, it, great story. He uh, he um, he lived and worked in the Bay Area in San Francisco the same time I did, but we did not know each other at all. And I we moved back. I think he moved back to Boston a little bit before I did. He moved back. He was at uh, open number nine park, um, you know, legendary Boston restaurant. And then he left there and opened Eastern Standard, which is in still there, amazing restaurant. I I get to help him with every now and again, and it's in the hotel, the same hotel as uh, Island Creek Oyster Bar. And he, um, you know, I, he tells the story better than I do. But that's how we met. He was opening Island Eastern Standard. I was leaving Great Bay to open Lineage and. We just we hit it off. He's a great guy, and then you know, just kind of an opportunity came up to help him at Eastern Standard. I said, oh, you know, uh, trying to help him find the right guy to help in the kitchen there, and I said, I'll come down for a few months and and give you a hand. And you know, five years later, I'm still there, and he and I own two restaurants together. So he's just been such a you know instrumental part of of for all of us in that you know in that group and in that world, all the chefs and managers and wine people enabling us to kind of do what we do and he's kind of behind the scenes just you know making it all happen for us he's an amazing part of the boston restaurant community but you talk about hospitality and humility personified i mean that is garrett okay (laughs) (laughs) but that is everything that you guys do i mean you walk into island creek and everybody knows your name even if you don't know the hostess the host the waiter they know i I know everyone's name how dare you think that i don't know everyone's name (laughs) But there, there's this wonderful sense of community and camaraderie amongst everyone in that restaurant um, to serve, but not in a servile way, to serve as if they were your friend, your neighbor. And, you know, Kenmore Square wasn't like that. No, I don't think. Well, I don't think the restaurant community in, in general was like that in Boston. You know, I mean, I think, you know, people like there's been people before, him, but I certainly think Garrett's been a champion for it, you know, and, and when we see our staff you know when he and i look at them and they're talking about the oysters like they grew them or they're talking about the beer like they brewed it you know or they're talking about the food like they made it you know that's just a big part of developing a culture within the restaurants that you know we're very proud of and and he's a big part of of developing and pushing forward i mean it's 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 when it works and you see it happen at, at the highest level it's it's pretty amazing an Island Creek Oyster Bar is what two hundred plus seats. No, How many no. covers a night? Uh, we're about one sixty, one sixty five. We do three, four hundred covers on an average night. I mean, we've had some bigger days with baseball and things like that, but it, you know, we fill it up a couple times, and and that's plenty. It's, yeah, it <laughs> keeps us out of trouble. But it still feels like the the local place, like Lineage does. <clears throat> yeah, I think. I, I mean, I think Eastern Standard and Island Creek both appeal to a. a you know the neighborhood around Kenmore Square and, and beyond that Boston. I think it, you see a lot of Boston people in those restaurants, and that's that's important to us. We see those faces all the time. So I was lucky enough again to be on this project, the New England Kitchen Cookbook, with you and Island Creek Oyster Bar was doing what it does. Yeah, and you were just about 
attempting to open up row 34. I think it was in its impetus. Yeah. Like, you were barely talking about it, but it was in motion. I was scared. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> As you should be. I mean, the thing is a beast of the, of the best kind. But during that time, you know, putting a cookbook together, where do you start? I mean, you, you have so many different places that you've cooked from, so many different ideas of what food should be. Why New England? I know it defines you as a person, but why the cuisine? Well, I, you know, I don't know. I, I think that, uh, you know, New England has such iconic ingredients that are so unique to New England. I mean, whether it's cranberries or lobster or cod, those are all things that you can find anywhere, but they're genuinely attached to New England. And I think the evolution of New England food with the with the farmers and the, the people brewing beer and the people you know, harvesting animals and catching fish, like, it's evolved. I mean, it's evolved amazingly, certainly uh, in my lifetime. So to kind of celebrate that just felt natural. I mean, I'm there. I'm, I'm a part of it. I like to contribute to it. I'm, you know, I play my own small role in that with the restaurants, and, and my chefs do, and, and, you know, the front of house staff plays a role in that. So to kind of put a book together that's going to celebrate that just seemed natural. And it started from another felicitous meeting with Aaron Byers Murray, who you know, was a writer for years in Boston and decided yeah. to leave and venture forth into becoming an oyster person. I don't mean like a person as an oyster anamorphically, but worked at Island Creek Oyster Dunn Duxbury Mass with Skip and Shore, who are now your business partners. Yeah, it was really interesting. Aaron and I kind of, I like to think we kind of came up through Boston together. She was a new food writer when I moved back to Boston. <clears throat> and I was a new chef in Boston. And we kind of came up through our own ranks together in our, in our own way. And she was, uh, you know, we became fast friends years and years ago. And um, she's been such a huge supporter of what we've done. And she made this great leap of faith and left her writing job to work on an oyster farm, you know, which, you know, she wrote a beautiful book called Shocked about that experience and, and working with the farm and working with the restaurants. And, and during that experience for her, Island Creek Oyster Bar opened. So that was kind of a part of the, of the book, it was a natural, you know, progression into what happened with all of us. So that was really cool. But it was like if I was going to do this, it felt like I needed to do it with someone that I was comfortable with and, and knew what I knew me and what I wanted to do. And, and that was Aaron. Well, it only felt fitting that you started the book actually with spring. It's it's you know, in four seasons, but with each season, you know, it, it kind of relates itself to maybe even a holiday. Spring being this rebirth in Boston, um, but also baseball season. Yeah, I mean, you don't want to think that you're, you know, a restaurant that is there for the Red Sox, even though we 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 are. I mean, we're very fortunate that the restaurants are busy most of the year, almost all the year, and that's wonderful. But with being so close to Fenway, yeah, you're absolutely influenced by those are milestones throughout the year, opening day and you know Marathon Monday and Red Sox home games. Those are those are things that you look at and that kind of dictate your life a little bit during that time. So, but also in spring you celebrate the oyster. Yeah, it is the best time of year to actually eat oyster. I, I mean, yeah, I mean it depends who you ask. You know, I mean, but I, I love the late summer fall oysters when they're fat and plump. But you know, when in the spring when oysters are dormant in the winter and they start to pump and you know they start to eat and and get strong again. I mean, that's a great time to kind of be a part of that as well. But uh, it's a lot of things happen in the spring in New England, and that just seemed a fitting way to kind of launch the book. Yeah, ramps, ramps, morels. You know, you get hot days and then snow, and 
freeze and mud and all that stuff that goes with New England. It's all great. Yeah. So, and it's also funny how you mentioned it could snow on Mother's Day, and it usually freaking does. It's <laughs> yeah. just, it's like the most amazing. It's it's the opposite of Mur- it's not even Murphy's Law. It's not. It's just it's just like the most ironic thing that it just happens every year. Something's going to happen. Yeah, you just don't know when. But, but something. we're going to fast forward to another season, which is fall, which is now, because a lot of people, I think assume summer in new england with their lobster bakes with you know raw seafood platters but fall is a very special time there too disassociated from thanksgiving even disassociated from halloween and salem witch trials and all that stuff why is fall so special in new england you know i i don't know i mean you it it is to me because it's really I think the fall for from the perspective of the farmers they've worked so hard all season and produced all this stuff in the fall is kind of you know you're you're winding up and some of the stuff that you get to harvest in the fall you've had to grow since spring you know so it's pumpkins or squash or you know root vegetables that have taken you all that time to get there you you kind of earn the fall you earn every season in New England but you know fall just has this great feeling of of relief to a certain extent where you know, it's it, the summer's over and the leaves are changing, and when that kind of dictates how you cook and how you eat, you start to crave those things that are a little more, you know, warming and and hearty and all those things, and and you're looking for those ingredients. So it's it's kind of a special time going into fall, and there's some unique fall things with New England. You know, whether it's you know Nantucket Bay scallops or you know potatoes that are grown by the local farmer, or you know pumpkins from the the you know the roadside stand all of those things are a part of the identity of new york and translate back into the kitchens you know and onto the plate yeah some some of my favorite recipes in the book are fall sugar pumpkin salad with uh the pepitas and the curry yeah. oil uh maple brine you know pork i love that dish i mean there, there's so much obviously that i love in this book and it's so approachable and so easy but it always brings those ingredients and and those farmers and those thinkers you know, to the forefront. Yeah, I mean, you're thinking about maple. You're not thinking about anywhere but New England. Those guys in Vermont tapping trees. You know, I mean, that's that's what New England is. You know, so it's you know, and that those flavors. So it's it's pretty cool to kind of be a part and play your role in in the identity of fall in New England. And I love how oysters transition throughout the ceilings too, as far as a culinary sense goes. Because you you do all the raw stuff during the summer. I mean, I do it year round. Yes, we do it year yeah. round too. Yeah. But there's oysters, Gregory. You know. Um, yeah. There's like creamy oyster stew that happens yeah. in the fall. Yeah, I mean, you don't. I mean, who wants to eat creamy oyster stew in the summer when it's ninety <laughs> degrees out? You want it when there's a little chill in the air and you know it, it feels hearty and and warming and wonderful. That's when you want to eat that stuff. You know. Baked stuffed lobster. Yeah. Again, like. Well, I mean, that's good all year round, really. But you know. Those big flavors and those, you know, all of those things that kind of go with it, the roasted vegetables and all those things, it, it feels a little bit better when it's cold out and that's, you know, tastes a little better too. I know we don't have baked beans in the book, but there is simple sausage and beans, which yeah. satisfies that for yeah. those New Englanders that really want that pot of beans. And it's just this warming kind of glorious dish that yeah. just like soothes the soul. Yeah, but it's easy. You know, I just, it doesn't have to be hard. It's, it's using great ingredients in a simple way that feel good. And right now, apple cider donuts. Could change your life. Yeah. They did. Yeah, good. I, I was in Boston. I had, and you have to, what, thank your wife for that one. Yeah, Lisa helped me with a lot of the pastry recipes and, and Lauren and, 
and Carol uh, did it all. So it really none of it happens without them. Certainly without Carol. Big shout out to Carol. Big shout out to Carol. That was a moment of silence and yeah. a big shout out yeah. to Carol right there. Get but, back to work, Carol. <laughs> what, what was it you had you before Carol? What was your term for that? Uh, oh, uh, we call it BC. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When did that happen? It was BC. It was before yeah. Carol. Yeah, couldn't have happened BC. The how-to section of this book too is very important for any New Englander how to shuck an oyster, how to break down and eat a lobster. Um, how to make your own slab bacon. I mean, but again, they're very simple, straightforward things that all New Englanders should have in their repertoire. I think so. You know, I mean, you should know how to flay a flounder if you're from New England. I mean, it's an iconic fish. You know, I, I mean, how to make bacon. It's so easy. And I just think as a project for a family over winter break from school or over the holidays, like, make some bacon. That's really cool. That's fun. You know, even if it doesn't come out right, just... Make some bacon. Try it. It's cool. You get to talk at the CIA very, very soon. Yeah, Friday. The commencement speech. Yeah. I mean, that that is a hell of a culmination of a career. Well, yeah. I mean, it's it's it was... It is. I don't know how to quite articulate it, but to be asked to go back 20 years later to the school you graduated from and, and some of the speakers they've had in the past and, and to put your name up there with those, it's pretty amazing. And, and what... What an amazing culinary school that they still have all these years later. So I, I enjoy going back there and visiting friends and kind of being a part of what happens there. So quite an honor. So you've joked around about what you're going to tell all those students about the real world, about being a chef. I, what are the greatest points of, of the greatest tips, points of inspiration that you can give them going forwards? Oh, God, I'm like, you're going to need a longer show. <laughs> I, I don't know. I think that... <laughs> You know, you got to find inspiration within yourself. You have to do things that you really like and love and and work in places that you feel that are going to fit you. You know, I mean, working in a restaurant that has a, an amazing name and reputation is, is wonderful. And I've certainly been able to do that. But if it doesn't fit who you are and your food sensibilities and, and a direction you want to go in your career, then it might not always work. I, you know, kind of staying true and focused on who you are and what you want to do. And you might not know that. And there's go out there and, and see what that is, work in different places, experience different things. But there's no secret in this industry. And my really my theme with anything is you have to work hard. You know, working in the culinary industry is, is it's a career. It's not, you know, it doesn't happen quickly. It doesn't happen overnight. Um, your aspiration should not to be on TV or to be in a magazine or to do any of those things. Your aspiration should be to work hard and touch food and do a really good job. That's what your, that's what your goal should be. And don't worry, there are crab cakes, there are hand-dug steamers, there are classic fried clams in this book, the wonderful riff on the BLT, the lobster BLT. Yeah. It's all there, but the hard work gets you there. Yeah. No, there's no short way to get there. Lastly, it just, it just feels funny that, you know, you, you have all these cyclical things in your life, in your families, in your... In, the generation of Sewells that have inhabited New England. And there's this wooden carving, this almost sign above the state capitol in Boston of a sacred cod. Yeah, the sacred cod. I mean, it's it's uh, it's kind of a, a big part of New England history, certainly with Boston. The cod was easily one of the most important fish in the history of fish and, and defined New England for a long time. The rumor is, and I, I don't know this to be fact historically, but that Samuel Sewell, gave them the original wood 
carved cod to hang over the state house. So uh, that's it's a great story. I've read it in a couple of different books. There's some theories on how that happened. So I'm gonna, I'm going to believe it. I'm yeah. going to believe he was the guy. So family is there, still there for you yeah. in Boston. Uh, it works for me. And I realized I cannot end this show without talking about Mark Sewell. Good. Yeah. Yeah. I, I just don't know what he'd do to me if he ever saw me. Well, again. you were on his boat. He's a pretty tough guy. Yeah. Yeah. You've seen him. Mark is my first cousin and uh, as, as close as we could be. He's genuinely one of my favorite people on the planet and, and someone I'm extremely close to. And he actually catches every lobster that we serve in the restaurants. Uh, he's a fisherman out of York, Maine. And our grandfather was one of the original lobstermen out of York, Maine. And He's uh, still a huge part of what we do and, and a huge part of my identity to the restaurants and, and how I cook. Cod, lobster, main oysters, all that happens. What I'm really happy to do with you right now, because you have a little bit of beer left, something that we did throughout the cookbook, and Carol would yell at us all the time because it wasn't really the end of the cookbook yet, but was to have a victory beer. I, I love a victory beer. So just clink me. It's done. It's Cheers. out there. The New England Kitchen, Chef Jeremy Sewell. Thanks for being on. Thanks for having me. What a great time. Excellent. You've been on, listening to the food scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. I'm your host, Michael Harlan Turkel. Hoping to have you back here next Tuesday at 3. Cheers. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archive programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions anytime at info at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a 501c3 nonprofit. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.